The negative thought pattern of criticalness, it is so easy how you and I, in one split second, we can size up somebody in our mind based on the most superficial things ever. Based on the color of their skin, we can size them up. Based on the kind of car they drive, we think we know everything. Based on even their personality that God Almighty has given them. When we see somebody that's very loud and excitable and outgoing, we can immediately think thoughts like, man, they're just so opinionative and they're so rude and they always want to be first and they're so loud. Then we see somebody that God Almighty has given a quiet personality to and we think they're stuck up. They don't want to talk to anybody. They think they're better than us. We do all of this in our mind and we think sometimes it's not that big of a deal if we don't say it. But the thing I want to show you today is, is that God is a God of hearts. And God looks at our hearts. In fact, we've talked about in the past several weeks that when a man looks at a woman in lust, he's committed adultery in his heart. When someone hates somebody else, they are a murderer in their heart. God Almighty always looks at the heart. And it's very easy for us to see these superficial things in people's lives to the point where our mind is exploded with all these critical thoughts. And we don't even realize it, but we have put up an internal invisible wall around our hearts preventing us from ever getting close to somebody else and realizing what's going on in their hearts. We don't know why somebody chooses to dress the way they do. Maybe that's all they have. Maybe that's all they know. We don't know why people act the way they do sometimes. Maybe they've been through very difficult circumstances and if you were in their shoes even for a day you might not even be able to survive what goes on in their life. How quickly we size someone up and have all these negative judgmental, rude things going on in our mind, and we can still smile at them like we're the best Christians in the world, shake their hand, say it's good to see you, and think all these evil things about that person. We can judge an entire race of people by one person with that color skin that did us wrong at some point in our life. We can judge an entire nationality based on one thing we see on the news. How evil is it that we choose to say that we are believers and Christians and love people, yet times when people hadn't even done us wrong, we don't even know anything about them, yet we think all these critical thoughts. In Matthew 7, the greatest scripture, I think, in this entire um, 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 point in the whole Bible is in Matthew 7, 2 through 3, and it says in verse 2, with the same measure you judge and criticize others, you will be judged and criticized. Now, we're going to camp out on these two scriptures for the next 10 minutes, so I want to say it in different ways to help you really understand it. I wanted to make sure every one of us in this room can relate. With the same measure you judge and criticize politicians, you will be judged and criticized. With the same measure you judge and criticize um, Europeans, Asians, Africans, Mexicans, the same measure you will be judged and criticized. With the same measure you judge and criticize Hindus, Muslims, people that don't have as much money as you, people that have way more money than you, with the same measure you judge um, Republicans or Democrats is the same measure you'll be judged. It's a promise from God. Notice, God's saying, I'm not going to change anything. It's a total promise. Equal is equal. Now, we love this scripture when someone judges us wrong. 
We love thinking, man, you don't even know my heart. You don't know what I've been through. God's going to make sure you are judged and criticized with the same measure. But when we do it to somebody, we think, oh, God, show us mercy. I didn't really mean it. Da, da, da. See, I was thinking about whenever um, you make coffee in the morning, even there in the breakfast room, you take a spoonful of sugar and you put it in your coffee. If you judge and criticize others with a spoonful, then it's going to be equal. You're going to be judged and criticized with a spoonful. If you judge and criticize others with a shovel, you will be judged and criticized with a shovel. If you judge and criticize others with a dump truck load of judgmental criticism, you will be judged and criticized with a dump truck load of judgmental criticism. The result is always going to be the same for you and me. Look at the next scripture. This is Jesus talking now. Matthew 7, 3. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't even notice the log in your own eye? And this is a very important scripture. This is the foundation for the next 25 minutes of the sermon. So get this. I'm going to show you five different ways we can look at this. According to this scripture, now each one of you are an individual person and Jesus is talking to you. So for a minute, I want us to all pretend that nobody's in this room except for Jesus and you. You're all by yourself with Jesus and Jesus looks at you and says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't even notice the log in your own eye? Um, according to this scripture, who has the speck in their eye? According to the scripture, who has the speck in their eye? Everyone else except for you. According to the scripture, everyone else except for you has a speck in their eye. Who, according to the scripture, has a log of sin in their life? Each person. Now, here's, here's what's cool about this. Watch. Um, the log of sin is saying that we are even too ignorant to even notice the log of sin in our life. In other words, no matter how much sin you point out in somebody else's life, no matter how evil of a deed they did, no matter how bad it was, it is only a speck compared compared to the log of sin in your own life that you don't even see, that you're not even aware of. You don't even know it's there. Um, the way I work on sermons, um, I hear some kind of clicking noise over here. That's, that's, I, I see a squirrel and I can't think about what I'm doing real quick. Okay, so I was on my way to Charleston um, Thursday for a doctor's appointment with Asher. Asher had an appointment at MUSC. And the way I work on my sermons is I'll take a scripture like this and I'll just say it out loud over and over and I'll quote it out loud and talk about it just over, over and over again. I'm in my car. God is my witness. I'm going, you know, 130 miles an hour, whatever, on the way to Charleston. And um, all of a sudden I look over on the side of the road while I'm saying this scripture out loud and there's a giant truck on on the side of the road filled with huge logs. I'm just carrying like 15 trees. About that time, a nasty bug slaps on the windshield of my car and just explodes. And, and God, here's what I heard God say. God said, John Paul, everybody thinks the sin in their life is the speck, the, the bug that splattered on the windshield. But in reality, the sin in people's life that they don't even notice, they don't even know it's there, is a truck filled with logs. You see, sometimes we talk about people or we criticize them in our minds or critical toward them because there's two different reasons, I think. Half of us in here probably do it because we think that um, we're not good enough. And so when we see something negative in someone else, it makes us feel better about ourselves to be critical over them, okay? But according to the scripture, they have a speck compared to the log in your own eye. Then some of us criticize other people because um, we think we are better than them and we have a right to do that. But again, they have a speck compared to your log. Here's what I love about the scripture. And get this, this is really good. This is really good. Every single person actually has logs of sin in their life. 
So it's equal with all of us. Even though all you see is a speck in their life compared to the log of sin in your own life, we're all on the same playing field. It's all, even every one of us in this room have logs of sin in our life that we can't even notice out of pride, ignorance, rebellion, whatever reason. We don't even see all the sin in our life, yet we're so quick to point out the speck in somebody else. I heard about this young guy. He went to a, um, a very well-to-do church. Everybody was dressed up. They were singing hymns and they had an organ playing. And it was very prestigious, except this guy didn't really know anything about church, didn't know how to dress. And he went in there with saggy jeans and he had a um, toboggan on his head and gold chains around his neck. And when he walked in, he came all the way to the front row and sat down and the church was just appalled. They started writing notes to the elders and made sure the pastor knew what was going on. And after church, the pastor greeted the guy at the back and he said, listen, man, before you come back to my church, I need you to ask God how you should dress. And so the guy agreed, and a week went by, and church the next week took place, and the kid came in wearing the same thing, saggy jeans, toboggan on his head, gold jewels around his neck, and the pastor scolded him. He said, listen, man, I told you before you come back to my church, you should ask God how you should dress. The young man told the pastor, he said, I did ask God how I should dress before I come to your church, but he told me he didn't know because he'd never been there before. Um, so here's what I did. I passed something out to you today. I, I, the, the root cause of, of, of being critical is pride. That's the root cause. And so I gave everybody a, um, a, a smelly thing. Does everybody have a smelly thing? Everybody got one? It's a smelly thing, okay? I wrote a scripture in there. The smelly thing I wrote is Isaiah 65, verse 5. In the message translation, here's what it says. A holier-than-thou attitude is a stench in my nostrils all day long. Anytime um, we are critical of others, anytime we size somebody up based on superficial things, God has to hold his nose when you come around. Can you imagine if you could physically see God in this building and you come walking through the doors and as soon as you walk through the doors, God says, oh my goodness, I can't believe so-and-so's here today. And he has to hold his nose. And he doesn't just have to hold his nose for a few minutes. It says it's a stench in his nostrils all day long. There's a lot of things we can withhold in relationships. We can withhold affirmation from the people closest to us and we can choose to not tell them how much we love them and how appreciative we are and there's a result for that. We can withhold finances from the kingdom of God. And the Bible talks about when we don't bring the Lord the tithe, the 10%, that Satan has a curse over our finances. There's a, re a result from withholding finances from God. But the result from withholding mercy... When somebody needs mercy and somebody has failed and somebody is not right and they've done wrong, the result for withholding mercy is there will not be mercy for you. Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they are the ones that shall obtain mercy. Some of y'all, let me ask you this. You say, well, how do I know that I have mercy for me today? Because I'm going to make mistakes because there's logs of sin in my life. Here's how you know if you've shown mercy. When we show mercy, we are not excusing their behavior. We're actually storing up mercy for ourselves. I'm not telling you that the, what they did was right. I'm not saying that it wasn't wrong. I'm not saying it wasn't a sin. I'm saying when you choose to judge somebody or be critical over them, when you don't even know their heart, you don't even know what's going on in their life, you don't even take the time to help restore them, and you refuse to show mercy, you're, you're, you're not going to have mercy available for yourself. But when you do show mercy, all you're doing, just remember you're storing it up for yourself. 
in John chapter 8, uh, Jesus was in the temple teaching one day, just like a church like this. And these religious leaders came bursting in the back of the church and they had a woman they had grabbed by the arms and they threw this woman down at the feet of Jesus. And they said with great excitement in John 8, 4, Jesus, we caught this lady in the act of adultery. The law commands that we stone her. What do you say we should do? It's very interesting what happened next. Jesus did something incredibly unusual. It says in John 8 verse 6, but Jesus bent over and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he heard them not. Um, we love to think that, um, that anytime, you know, we, we, we talk and we pray that God's always listening and that kind of thing. This is a very, very powerful scripture. This tells me when we are critical of other people, God chooses not to even listen to what it is we're saying. How detrimental would it be to you if, if you saw Jesus in physical form next to you and then you, you meet somebody that doesn't act like you or dress like you or believe like you or look like you or, 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 or act like you and all of a sudden these critical thoughts start coming to your mind and you see Jesus turn away from you, hold his ears and hold his nose at the same time because this is a stench in his nostrils. Wouldn't that just devastate you? You say, well, John Paul, they're guilty. They shouldn't have done what they did. What they did was wrong. It's a sin. Okay, listen, only guilty people need mercy. See, we're called to show mercy, right? As believers, we're called to show mercy to others. Why do we need to show mercy to somebody that hasn't offended us? Why do we need to show mercy to somebody that hasn't done us wrong? Why do we need to show mercy to somebody that hasn't committed a sin? Only the guilty need mercy. Only the guilty need mercy. Um, so this woman's lying at the feet of Jesus, okay? The religious leaders are hurling accusations at her, saying, Jesus, we need to stone her. She did wrong. I can't believe she acted this way. What is it we're supposed to do? So Jesus finally gets up off the ground, and in verse 7, here's what he says. Whichever one of you has no sin, no logs, cast the first. He gives us the prerequisite. He's saying, every one of you in here, you're allowed to throw stones. You're allowed to hit people with rocks. You're allowed to kill them with strikes on their head. Take all the stones you want to. You can do it. But here's what, the only way you're allowed to do it is first, if you, if you are somebody that has no sin in their life. I don't know about you, this prevents me from even looking at a rock. And I know that some of you in here, you've never, I'm sure most of you, I doubt any of you have ever actually taken a rock and, and thrown it at somebody with the intent to hurt them or to strike them or to kill them in some way. I'm sure that none of you have ever done that. But I can tell you from experience, the words that come out of your mouth about people, um, whether they're your, your friends or not, because, you know, sometimes we, we talk about our friends more than we do our enemies. Sometimes the words that come out of people's mouth about other people are worse than throwing a rock at their head. Worse than striking them. Worse than stoning them to death. Um, I have a question. How did the religious leaders catch the woman in the act of adultery? I mean, they said they called her. How did they catch her? Here's how they called her. They were not at church serving God. They were not teaching Sunday school or in the children's church. They were not cleaning the church. They were not visiting elderly. They were not visiting people in prison. They were not taking food to somebody. They weren't feeding the hungry or helping the homeless. They weren't doing the things that God cares about. They were in other people's business, meddling around, thinking they knew about somebody else's life. They had no idea what shoes that woman had walked in. Let me tell you something. For some of y'all, the whole reason you came out today was to hear this one sentence. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Just stay out of, you know, it's so hard to even run my own life without getting in, 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 mind and, in, getting in other people's business and helping run their life for them. 
Much of our critical thought life, much of the critical thoughts we, we have is based on the culture that we were raised in. Okay, I want you to think about some stuff. We were all raised differently, different parts of the world and came from different families. And so sometimes we think, well, man, they smoke. I would never smoke cigarettes. Yeah, but you might be a glutton. You say, well, smoking causes cancer. Well, so does sunbathing. Smoking, sunbathing, gluttony. What about, um, you say, well, they drink liquor. Well, the disciples drank wine. Are you saying that this type of alcohol is more evil or against God than this type of alcohol? Um, what about um, smoking pot? Well, that's illegal. Well, so is speeding, going over the speed limit down the road. That's illegal as well. Not wearing your seatbelt is illegal as well. Um, what about cussing? Man, I can't believe they cuss. Well, you watch vulgar movies. I mean, which one is worse? I'm not saying that you are allowed to jump off so we can cuss and drink liquor and do whatever we want to do. I'm, not, I'm saying that sometimes we have this preconceived notion when we see somebody else battling something because they are weak in an area that you're strong in or they don't battle area or they battle an area that you've never battled in your life well me and my family we never battle drugs well thank God for his mercy because if not for the mercy of God you probably would if not for the goodness of God you could have been born into that family or had to deal with an addiction like that don't let the way you were raised cause yourself to be critical of other people. And showing mercy like we're talking about today, it's a different subject than consequences and boundaries. If you're a boss here today and you have somebody that's always late for work, don't say, well, John Paul said to show them mercy. No, John Paul said fire them. If there's a boundary you have in place, you give them a consequence. You love them at the same time, but boundaries and consequences are different than showing mercy. If someone cusses a lot and that's just something that you don't want around you well then you create a boundary and you guard your heart and you create space with that person but you still love them and don't judge them thinking they're just so lazy why do they talk like that maybe that's all they heard growing up maybe their parents cussed them out every other day and that's all they ever know don't judge them and be critical of them but you can still have boundaries and consequences trust is based on integrity love is based on humanity you trust somebody up to the level of their integrity Trust somebody up to the level that, um, uh, of, their, of their character, but you love somebody for the simple fact that they are human. Um, I think about Jesus, if I was really going to mess up your religious you know, thoughts today, the people that Jesus chose to change the world were not religious people that did everything right. The people that Jesus called to be his disciples, they were not the ones that taught Sunday school. They didn't know all the scriptures. They didn't have theology degrees. In fact, I was thinking about this. <laughs> there was a time where Jesus told his disciples to pray and they didn't even pray. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was walking with Jesus physically, I'd be praying just to get brownie points like all the time. I'd be saying stuff like, please God, blah, 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 just to see if he heard me praying all the time. And one time Jesus told his disciples pray and they didn't even pray when he told them to. I mean, if you saw a, a, a pastor out there and he had a clerical collar on and he had a big Bible in his hand and Jesus went to him and said, will you pray? And he didn't even pray. You'd think, man, he's not a man. If God was wrong with him, we'd size him up. In fact, some of the disciples cussed. Some of the disciples, actually, they all drank wine at one point or another. Um, they were very opinionative, but that didn't bother Jesus. Jesus always looked at somebody's heart. In fact, Peter's name used to be Simon. And at first, when Jesus met him, his name was Simon. And it, Simon means a small pebble. But one time when Jesus came around to him in John 1.42, he looked right at Simon in the eyes and said, from now on, your name is Peter, which means a rock. Here's what he was saying. Before I get to you, you're just, you're small, you're insecure, you're a pebble. But when I'm done with you, 
When I spend time with you, when I look at your heart and decide I'm going to use you because of what's going on on the inside, one day you're going to be strong, secure, like a rock. That's where we get that song, like a rock. I was strong as I could be. Like, that's not where we get that song at all. Not at all. So anyway, now here's Jesus. He done spent a bunch of time with Peter. Changed his name, told him he's going to be great. Okay, this is sometime after that. Matthew 26, 74, Peter began to curse and swear and deny Jesus. And you think, listen, you think the people that you judge and criticize have problems? Find a pastor who is cussing and swearing and saying, ah, blankety blank, I don't believe in Jesus. After spending all this time with him. Some of y'all, would, if, you, if you found somebody like this and they sing or they served or they taught Sunday school, man, you talk about them and think the things, that, for you to have something to talk about for the next 20 years, you'd be trying to put stuff on Facebook and, and tell all your friends about it. Can you believe I heard this Christian guy and he's cussing and swearing to denying Jesus? And then you go a little bit further along, more time with Jesus in Acts 5.15, the sick people were brought to the road, hoping that as Peter passed by, his shadow would fall on them and heal them. Can you believe somebody who cussed, denied Jesus, drank wine, swore that whenever his shadow, he was so anointed by God that when his shadow passed over people, they would be healed? Imagine being stage four cancer today. You found out you got stage four cancer, you're going to die. And Jesus said, oh, here's the way you're going to be healed. You know that guy you've been talking trash about, the one that's been critical over, the one that doesn't believe like you, that doesn't act like you, that messes up all the time? Hey, I want you to go to him and let his shadow pass over you and you'll be healed. Some of y'all would rather die. People who are judgmental, they actually enjoy being critical. If you want to know why you're critical or you're judgmental, is that it's something you enjoy doing. It takes more effort to believe the best. It takes more effort to see the best. It takes more effort to talk about the best. And the It's easy and it's, it's lazy. And it's, it's fun. Whenever you decide you're going to be judgmental and critical, you do it because you enjoy doing it. Something you look forward to. Think about it. People that act like this, they like doing it. It makes them feel better about themselves. They love talking about it. They love seeing the worst in everybody else. There was this um, couple, they moved into a brand new house and um, their goal was to eat breakfast together in a little breakfast nook every day. And so one day they're eating breakfast, their first day in the house, and the wife looks outside the window and she sees her neighbor hanging clothes out on the, on the line to dry. And she tells her husband, she says, man, my, our neighbor, she don't know how to clean her clothes. There's dirtiness, all those spots all over it. Does, does she even know how to wash clothes? Somebody needs to teach this woman how to wash clothes for her family. And they go about their breakfast. The next day, she looks out the window, same exact thing. She says, I can't believe it, honey. Look, this lady, she, she, her clothes are all dirty. They're dingy. Does she even know what she's doing? And on and on and went. The next day, same thing. I can't believe this, how nasty her poor kids, her poor family, wearing those dirty clothes, hanging out of the lawn. Then one day, she gets up, and they eat breakfast, and she looks out the window. She says, honey, can you believe this? It's spotless. The clothes are so pretty. They're white. Somebody must have taught this woman how to wash clothes. The husband said, no, honey, I actually got up early this morning and I cleaned our window. My question to you is, is your window clean? Uh, The Bible says in Titus 1.15, to the pure in heart, all things are pure. 
In other words, when your window's clean, you'll always believe the best in people. You'll always see the best in people. If there's anything I've learned from a pastor, because over the years, I've had people that criticize everything. I mean, they, they criticize the color, the walls, the, the music, the clothes. I've had people that have written me letters about my hair. And they said, we don't like it when you wear your hair like this. We need to wear your hair like this. I remember, man, it's not in my notes. I should probably not go off my notes. But anyway, um, I, I had a car that I used to love. A friend of mine gave me a lot of money one day. And he said, what's your dream car? And I said, it's the General Lee, the, the Dukes of Hazard car. And he gave me a bunch of money and I bought that car. And I was so excited. I mean, I loved the car. My payments were cheaper than any other car I had. It was great. And I had people write me the dirtiest, meanest, nastiest letters. How dare you drive a car like that? You're a pastor. You have no business doing that. And so to please these people, I sold my dream car and I got a truck that was more expensive than the sports car. And they wrote me letters, we're so proud of you. We love your new truck. Do you know those same people left the church several weeks later because of something else they didn't like? And I thought, you, and I wasn't critical. <laughs> but for a few minutes. <laughs> and I repented quickly. <clears throat> Here's the point. We all see the world through our own eyes. If we criticize people who are weak in areas that we're strong, if we criticize people who battle things that we've never battled, if we criticize people who aren't like us, who haven't gone through the things we've gone through and don't believe like us and look like us, then listen, it's going to be very difficult for me to believe that we're going to get to heaven one day and God's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's probably going to look at you and hand you a bottle of Windex and say, before you come into heaven, please clean your window or you'll be criticizing God. The, street, the streets of gold are too bright, God. You got to do something about that. And I don't like the paint that you chose for the throne room. And, and the is that God? <laughs> and the choir singing too loud, God. The angels, they're way too excitable. I can't handle that kind of stuff. God will say, take this Windex and clean what's going on in your heart. Um, and, and Samuel Samuel was a great prophet in the book of Samuel in the Old Testament. God used Samuel to choose kings over Israel. I and mean, this is a huge honor, huge honor. And Samuel had spent years training Saul to be king. Y'all know the story. Saul turned his back on God, decided he didn't want to serve God anymore. And Samuel was devastated. I mean, he spent years in this relationship training this, this man since he was a young boy. He, and Saul was smart and wise and talented and he was, he was just such a, a great man on the outside, but his heart was bad. And so God took the throne away from Saul, and Samuel just could not believe it. He said, God, I can't believe it. I spent all this time and energy in this relationship, and the person turned their back on me. And so God told Samuel, he said, go to the house of Jesse. I've chosen a new king. Now, here's what I love about the story. God didn't say, Samuel, go to the house of Jesse, because his son David's going to be the next king. God didn't tell him who it was. God just said, go to the house of Jesse. It's one of his sons. In 1 Samuel 16, 6, whenever Samuel gets there, it says he looked on Eliab, the eldest son, and said, surely the Lord has chosen him. That's how prophets talk, very masculine like that. Surely the Lord, I have no idea. But anyway, and so he went there and he chose Eliab, the oldest, because of the outward appearance. And God Almighty spoke very, very loud and clearly in the very next scripture, verse 7, and said, Samuel, I see not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. Here's the point I want to make. Samuel almost missed out on the greatest relationship he had ever had because he prejudged somebody from their outward appearance. He almost missed out on David 
David was young, had freckles, red hair, over in the shepherd's fields, and even the prophet thought it can't be him. Turned out David to be the best king that ever reigned over Israel. Um, years ago, it, uh, when we first started the church, um, I had this couple that, that, that always used to lo- lo- love to say spiritual terms. And I was uh, young, and they'd say things to me after my sermon. It was good, but just one deep enough for us. We need more depth, you know, whenever you preach. So I'd try to be deep. And then, oh, well, I was so deep, I'd be drowning sometimes. And they'd be like, oh, it's just not spiritual enough for us. You need to be more spiritual. And, you know, they, you need to speak in tongues whenever you preach. You need to lay hands on people and all this kind of stuff. And they'd keep coming back to church, but they keep criticizing everything, everything. And they were so critical over people. This couple, they love to talk about somebody. I mean, they'd come to me if somebody new came to church. Did you see that visitor we had? They're dead. I mean, on and on it went. So finally one day, you know, I put them in my office. I said, listen, guys, something's got to give. You know, y'all got to just shut your mouth or go because I can't handle this anymore. And they were so appalled. So every time I read this scripture that I'm about to read to you, I always, always, always think of this couple. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if I can speak in the tongues of angels, which is very spiritual, if I have prophetic powers and possess all knowledge, man, that's godly wisdom. If I have faith to move mountains, that's amazing. If I do the right things and give everything to the poor, in other words, on the outside, if I do the right things on the outside, this couple, they love to talk about tithing and giving, and they thought they were the best tithers in the church and on and on. They, they did the, but they didn't tithe because they loved God and they loved people. They tithed because it was a, a religious thing they did to make themselves feel better. The last scripture says, but if I don't love others, I profit nothing. Here's what this tells me. You can do all kinds of spiritual things, but if you don't love people, you're going to profit nothing. I can tell you personally, I have a lot of problems in my life. I'm not the perfect pastor, but one thing I love people. I mean, I absolutely love people. I want everyone to succeed. I want everyone to come to church. I don't care what you believe, what you like, what's going on in your life, what you battle in your life. I could care less. I love people. Mahatma Gandhi, whenever he was a young guy, I'm closing with this, but when he was a a young guy, his goal was to find out what was dividing the nation of India. He really wanted to know about this. And so he began to study different things. One thing that Gandhi studied in his early age, he studied the New Testament Gospels. He read them over and over again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And at one point in his study, he decided he wanted to be a Christian. He thought that was the answer for India. So he went to a Christian church one day, and his goal was to talk to the minister afterwards about becoming a Christian and finding out more about the Christian faith. Whenever he walked into the church, the people there refused to seat him. They said that we suggest you go and worship with your own kind. Mahatma Gandhi left that service that day and he said, and I quote, if Christians are that judgmental, I should remain a Hindu. I wonder how many people in our life we have pushed aside who all they needed was some mercy. All they needed was somebody to put their arm around them and say, listen, there's hope for you. I got your back. I got you covered. The church should not be a museum to display perfect people. The church should be a hospital to heal the wounded and to mend the broken. Last scripture is Romans 15.1. We who are mature are to bear with those who are weak. Um, I've ran through a lot of people in the past 10 years who think they're so mature. I mean, they do a lot of good things on the outside. And you would think they are so mature. You would think they're so spiritual. And if they're watching by camera, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. I'm just kidding. Anyway, (laughs) I'm joking. Anyway, (laughs) I love people. 
about. <laughs> um, they think they're so mature. But the Bible, listen, you can't get away from the Bible. Man, there's things, we are, we, you just can't get away from this. If you think you're mature, here's proof whether you're mature or not. If you can bear with people who are weak. This means people that are not as good as you, people that are not as, as faith-filled as you, people that are not as happy as you, people that are not as prosperous as you. When you can bear with those who are weak, that's the sign of maturity. Last point I'm going to tell you is this. Uh, in the Bible, the New Testament talks about the anointing. The anointing, the definition of the anointing is the empowerment to prosper through Jesus. In other words, he takes your talents, your gifts, knowledge, whatever he has, and, and you prosper through him. Not your, not your blood, sweat, and tears, but his blood, sweat, and tears. The anointing is the empowerment to prosper. The anointing is not affected by whether you wear denim or polyester. The anointing is not affected whether you have a perm, a weave, or dreadlocks. The anointing is not affected by the color of your skin, which is one-sixteenth of an inch thick. The anointing is not affected by how much money you have in your bank account. But what does affect the anointing in our life is whether or not we have a critical heart towards other people. I believe that if you will keep your window cleaned and start showing more mercy, that your relationships will be better, You'll be a blessing wherever you go. You'll be an asset to the church and to the kingdom of God. And then God will always show you equal mercy. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Lord, we are very, very grateful for your word today, God. We're grateful that you take people that are messed up,